over these next weeks, we've got a series of services that are going to be based on the New Testament book, Romans chapter 8. So if you've got any uh, bedtime reading and you're um, wanting to just prepare for that, there's a lovely phrase. I used to work uh, for a Quaker school for about 18 years, and uh, one of the phrases the Society of Friends uses is, come to meeting in heart and mind prepared. One of the ways all of us can do that is come and come prepared by reading the scriptures. So I would commend to you all these over these weeks, why not read one to seven as well uh, to see how we land on chapter eight. But um, this is what we're starting on that today and Philip's going to come and read before Helen speaks. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly 
for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Good morning. I love the letter to the Romans. I probably said this before. I was once um, lent a study guide by William Barclay, and I'd been a Christian for years, but I, I read it, and I felt like I came to faith anew. It just explains what the gospel message, what our faith is all about. I get so excited by it. And we've been looking at Romans in our um, midweek connect group on Wednesdays we have a a lunchtime connect group and we've been looking at a course that's been put together by the Bible Society um, and is narrated by a guy called Andy Ollerton it's it's very accessible we've really enjoyed going through it Um, and each week we've looked at an amazing just a different aspect of our faith and he he talks about the book of Romans as being a bit like a mountain to climb because as you start, some of it is quite tough stuff because it's explaining a lot about the mess that the world is in and the need for Jesus to come and save it. But as you get to chapter 8, he says you're like on the top of that mountain and you're able to look at all the, the blessing and the, the joy and the freedom that you have if you're a Christian. And, and I, I echo Jane in saying... Do, do have a look at the whole book. And even if you um, don't want to read it all, I can tell you that I can do a, t- a quick, quick way of getting the gist of what's going on here. There's a, a, a project called the Bible Project, 
and they have put together an, a graphic, infographic, in, in, I forget how you, what the correct terminology is, but it, it's pictorial and it's narrated and it takes you through in about seven or eight minutes the whole of Romans and um, with graphics to demonstrate the different sections. If you just Google the Bible Project and look for Romans, it gives you a brilliant overview. So just because we're going to zoom in on chapter 8, but the bits before are so good. In fact, I think chapter 8 is, is a good chapter for us to look at because we don't always grasp some of the promises. We, we look at, we sort of know that we need to be a Christian and then we kind of stop when we think, yes, we're a Christian. And chapter 8 is about allowing God to actually act in our lives. But the build-up to it is brilliant. So there's your homework. Different, different ways of doing your homework. Um, anyway, we're going to dive in at chapter 8. And we're not even going to dive in at the beginning of chapter 8. We're going to the middle of chapter 8. But so we're missing some really key verses here. And I don't know when you were listening to Philip read, whether you homed in on any of the promises we've got here. But it says, he read to us, you are a child of God. You are called, justified, and glorified by God. You are adopted into God's family. You have the spirit to help you when you're feeling weak and incapable. You, each one of us. You do not need to be a slave to fear. God is working for your good, no matter what seems to be going on around you. These are amazing promises. There's so many tangents we could go off on here. It's like a pile of, of Christmas presents, and I wasn't quite sure which one to open. And even the bits which refer to life's challenges, I found quite encouraging, because in the, the middle of mentioning about groaning and childbirth, there's an empathy and an acknowledgement that life can be so hard, but yet God is for us. So where to start? As I've said, the first seven books see Paul explaining to the Romans the Christian message, the lostness of humankind, the need for God's intervention, why Jesus needed to come and die for us, and explains it's about grace through faith, undeserved, unearned, but simply dependent on us trusting God. And the beginning of chapter 8, the bits we didn't see, it says there's no condemnation now for us because Christ took that condemnation on the cross that we have just celebrated. And verse 11, just before today's passage, it says that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now living in us. Now that really struck me. We've just said in the communion liturgy that the spirit is with us. But I know I am challenged about how much I let the Spirit live through me. There's a vicar of, of all souls, a chap called John Stott, who some of you may have heard of. He described the Christian life as animated, sustained, directed, and enriched by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know how animated you are feeling on this Sunday morning, but I want to have a little look a bit more about this notion of the Holy Spirit, and in particular, the idea of, of us as a Christian family in the widest sense. 
Because in this passage, Paul does talk about the Holy Spirit and our relationship of God as our Father. He he talks about the fact we're adopted into a new family. We are God's children and we're co-heirs with Christ. And I I don't think, I I certainly hadn't dwelt on this um, very much. But being adopted, particularly when this was written to the Romans, adoption was a huge thing to the Roman people. I didn't realize, but a lot of the um, Roman emperors were actually adopted into other families. And the word that's used here, this Greek word for adoption, is, is about having the full legal standing of being the heir of the family that you're adopted into. It's the same word in verses 15 and 23. And Paul's using it to challenge believers about this new relationship that they've got with God. They're literally, they're taking away the, um, they're leaving their old family and entering a new family to be a legitimate child in that new family, the full heir. Now, for some of us, I know our, our family is a Christian family, our biological family is that Christian family, but not for all of us. But we can all know that we are part of Christ's family, God's family. When a person becomes a Christian, he gains all the privileges and responsibilities of being a child in God's family. And one of those privileges is that we're led by the Holy Spirit. We might not always feel like we're being led. We might not always feel that we're a child of God. But that spirit is is in, in us and is a witness to that fact. And what's radical about this that... Andy Ollerton in the, in the Bible Society course and in the book that he's written explains that the term that's used for the sons of God is actually a term for the children of God. So there's no gender implied here. And this would have been extremely radical at that time, which I think we've lost over time. He says that to imply that a female slave in some sort of poor, obscure part of Rome could actually be a child of God, would have been extremely radical. He calls it spiritual dynamite. And Tom Holland, who I know I've mentioned before, but he wrote, he's a historian, he wrote a book called Dominion, where he's traced the influence of Christianity in the West. And he says that Christianity was like having a cuckoo in a Roman nest displacing male patriarchy with an alternative truth that men and women are equally valued by God. This was so radical. No wonder the Romans didn't want Christianity to flourish. It's saying that everyone is equal. And also, this Holy Spirit calls God Father. He says we're able to um, approach God with the term which is Abba Father, which was, been, uh, was a very everyday family term, a bit like daddy, that was Jesus used in his prayers, but no Jew would ever have approached God in that way or Yahweh in that way. So here again, it's really radical that as part of God's family, we can approach God as Abba, Father. With the course, there was a, a little video clip which interviewed... Um, a man and wife who weren't able to have children and they'd adopted a child. And when the the, um, husband is is talking, he said, I was thinking, 
I wasn't sure I could love someone else's child as much as my own child. But then I remembered, and God showed him, that that's exactly what God had done for him. He was adopted into the family of God. And he said also when he sees this little child that they both loved dearly, being naughty or ignoring what they're saying, it made him reflect on just how God must feel when we ignore him, when we don't do what what we should be doing. But he said it made him realize not only the pain, but how you love regardless because you're a father. And that's what we have. Wonderful, amazing stuff. But being a part of a family also brings with it obligation. Now, I think obligation can have a bit of a negative connotation, but it means stopping and looking beyond ourselves. And for a family to work, there has to be a sense of pulling together and looking out for one another. And families are dynamic, they're not static. The dynamic of a family that's got small children that need um, their food cooking for them, need taken to school, is very different to the dynamic of a family with um, teenagers and um, young adults where they've learned to drive. They can take themselves even off a lifts where they're able to cook their own food. Completely different dynamic. And it changes again when those children move away or when the parents have needs of their own and they need taking to places and, and they need food getting for them. But it doesn't mean that they're not still family. The dynamics of relationships change, but there should always be at the root of that that they want the best for one another, for each person to thrive and flourish whatever state of life that they're in. Now, I know our own personal experience of family may affect our image of this, but let's just try and think what it means to, in relation to being part of God's family. And that's, that's more than just being part of a church. That's God's wider family in the world. And because that obligation of looking beyond ourselves can also bring with it tremendous blessing. But there is an obligation to live in line with the Holy Spirit And the Holy Spirit is only ever encouraging us to live as Jesus would live. God's purpose is that we would become more like Jesus. But then he is like our big brother. We're meant to be like that son and that heir. And that's both a privilege and it's a lifestyle. We can't have one without the other. So in a way, it is like looking up to a big brother. We can choose to be like that younger sibling who follows their every move and wants to emulate everything they do, like that small child that runs after the big brother idolizing him and trying to do what he does. Or we can choose to be independent with no regard for our other siblings or any other family member just plowing on in our own furrow. And from being toddlers... We're always striving for independence. But I think we're actually created for interdependence. And in this family, we do have a pretty amazing big brother. Now, we can feel that we'll never emulate him and just give up. And we can spend, um, or we can spend our time following him with adoration and get swept up in what he is doing and his, his father's doing. 
God our Father. Now, in reality, I know it's not so black and white. We spend some of our time following God and listening to him, and the other times was just doing our own thing without giving God a second thought. And I think the relative security in which we live here in Ealing means that we often do just go ahead and plan our lives in the knowledge that it's most likely going to succeed the way we think it's going to succeed. But Jesus always spoke to his father about his plans, checking in with him each day, checking he was on the right track. And that's what I think we're meant to do. And as members of this family of God, we can encourage one another. That's why we meet in smaller groups, so we can know small groups of people better than we can know the the whole body. And then we can be there for one another, helping each other to just in our daily lives, praying for one another, encouraging each other to learn more about scripture, just taking an interest in what's going on in each, each other's lives. Now, I'm not saying that this is easy. I think some members of our, of our family, our Christian family, can annoy us immensely, and we don't always rub along that well. But I think that's why we also are told we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're not on our own. The obligation is to live a life according to God's direction. But as God's children, we have the Holy Spirit to help us do this. And because we're family, we can encourage one another, call one another on. And this Holy Spirit isn't an optional obligation. The Holy Spirit's presence in our life is part and parcel of being a believer. It's prayed for at our baptism. It was promised by Jesus as one of his parting gifts. And it's the first fruit of our inheritance. It's the seal that says we're part of this family. It's like the family crest or the surname. We are part of God's family. But what is optional is how much we choose to listen to it or to be guided by the Holy Spirit. And this can be quite a transformational process. And some of us might feel we need a bit more transforming than others. And Sam, when he gave me um, the passage for today, he wrote a phrase which also came up in my reading this morning. And it says, Jesus loves you where you are, but he also loves you too much to let you stay there. We should be always encouraging each other of what is the next thing, not necessarily the next thing to do. Sometimes it's just about learning more about just being in God's presence. But let's all want to be in tune with what God's doing around here. But the other part of this passage, which I'm sure you picked up on, is that there's a lot about suffering. And we might have the Christian family, we might have the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't mean there won't be any suffering. In fact, This passage talks about groaning while we wait for God's final glory. And we may not always feel that we are beloved children of God, but this passage acknowledges that we're caught up in the midst of a work in progress. Although it's in the past tense, we, we have been justified, we have been adopted, we have been glorified. We're still living to see that fully fulfilled. The passage says the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. 
And as part of being Christian, people, our Christian brothers and sisters suffer for their faith. We might not, we might just suffer ridicule, but in other parts of the world, it's very dangerous to be a Christian. But we're all in this together. Both humans and creation, we were were all subject to the fall and we both await a final restoration. New heaven, new earth, new bodies. That's another tangent that we could go off on, that's for another day. But what we do know, and what we can claim for ourselves, is the conviction at the end of that passage that God is at work in our lives. Not that he works to get, where all things, all things work together for good, because not everything is good. Some things that we go through are horrible. But God is working in our lives for God. No matter what is going on around us, God is on our side. God is working for the good of his people worldwide, those who love him. And ultimately, he wants to ensure our salvation. He is returning. And God works for good in all things. This means God's able to work through all the sufferings of, in verse 17, all the groanings in verse 23. He does have a purpose for us. Life's not as random as it might sometimes seem. And what man intends for, for harm, God is able to bring some good out of it. We've just celebrated the fact in celebrating communion. When Jesus was on that cross, it must have looked like the world had won, the Romans had won. They were going to crush this upstart, Jesus Christ, and nothing good could come out of it. On human terms, him hanging there on a cross was the end. Men tried to destroy Jesus, but God knew that they were going to do that, and he was able to bring it around for our salvation. And as well as the knowledge of God, of God working for good, we're also told that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and joins us in our prayers, even when we don't know what to pray. As a believer, we're not left to our own devices to cope with problems. Even when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit groans on our behalf. We can approach God through the Son by the Holy Spirit. And as part of God's family, we can do the same for one another. And let us remember remember the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is at work in all of us. As incredible as it might sometimes seem, that is the truth. God helps us to be like him through the new life he gives us. And we have that Holy Spirit to help and guide. And the more we step out, the more we face battles, the more we will see that guidance might be the comfort, the grace, the resilience, the peace, the wisdom, whatever is required for that situation. But we mustn't be discouraged when we face trials. We should stand there with one another. As God is there with us, to the point that the Holy Spirit is there groaning and praying for us. So whatever our challenges are, whether you've got physical challenges, spiritual challenges, whether they're internal, external, let's just seek God, bring them before God. And let's spend just a few minutes now thinking over this whole idea of being adopted into God's family. How might we do family better? 
How does the idea of being a child of God settle with you? Do you feel the need to spend more time with God, with Jesus, acknowledging the Holy Spirit? Or do you just need a few moments to groan in the Spirit and lift up to God how you're feeling right now? I'm going to give you a few moments of silence and then I'm going to pray a prayer which is one of the colleagues for, for this week but acknowledges that we are adopted into God's family. Eternal Father, who at the baptism of Jesus revealed him to be your Son, anointing him with the Holy Spirit. Grant us, who are born again by water and the Spirit, that we may be faithful to our calling as your adopted children. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.